This week on The Short Game, Meeples. Welcome to The Short Game. This is the show about fitting games into your life. Mostly video games, but we're taking a little bit of a different tack this week. This is our first board game special. This week on The Short Game, we're going to be discussing board games. Short board games, or at least board games that you can cram into a busy schedule. The same way that we talk about cramming. Cramming is the wrong word, isn't it? I don't know if I like the word cramming, but... We're sliding it on in. How about that? <laughs> We're going to talk about the slipperiest of board games. Those board games that you can squeeze into the tightest of schedules. You know, not not all of us really need the... Uh... No, never mind. <laughs> yeah, cram makes it sound like it's like something that you have to do, not that you want to do. Makes it sound like there will be a test on Monday. Yeah. yeah. This week on The Short Game, we're going to be talking about board games that you can fit into any schedule. Good enough, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I am your host, Reagan Kelly, as always, and I am joined this week by a dream team of actually three co-hosts. We are a team of four. Once again, as always, I have got Nate Heininger. Hey, guys. That's Nate. And I've got Shane Kelly, my twin brother. The bro host. The bro host, indeed. Uh, for the first time this week, we've got a special guest uh, longtime friend of the show, Patrick Seba, or we just like to call him Seba. We're just going to go with Seba. Howdy, y'all. How are you doing, Seba? I'm a longtime friend of the show, and because I was so nice, you even told me the show's name today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the reason that we're bringing Seba on the show today is that Seba and I have a long history together that revolves largely around board games. Um, Seba is a really, really, really brutal opponent in pretty much every board game that you can name. And I've played, I'd say almost half of the board games I've played in my life have been with Siba. That's probably not quite true, but a whole lot. And of those, I think I've won one or two of them. He is a monster. And Reagan, I, I keep telling you, it's the wisdom that I got from my father that, that told me, uh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's really sad, though, is that I don't believe you. Siba has skills, and so I wanted to bring him on the show today to join us and talk a little bit about some of the games that we keep coming back to again and again, the kinds of games that always manage to find their way into any busy gaming schedule. Um, so uh, we've each kind of picked a game to talk about a little bit in depth, uh, but before we do that, I wanted to sort of see if anybody had any ideas about what types of games really appeal to them these days. I know that for me, when I was younger, you know, in college or hanging out with Siba, for example, and Shane, and uh, in those days, I had a lot more time on my hands and we could commit ourselves to really long games and we could learn new games that were extremely complicated and had a lot to them. And I found that as I've kind of gotten out of that stage of life, a lot of those games still have a place for me, but more and more I'm drawn to these kind of a different kind of games. Yeah, there was definitely a time when uh, a game like Axis and Allies was my favorite game to play. And we would commit uh, about a 10 to 12 hour block of a day with five of us to play an entire game of Axis and Allies with half hour breaks in between <laughs> rounds in order to fully realize our uh, our, you know, game plan for the next round we had a pretty elaborate system and it's certainly much harder to find an entire day with five people all free yeah yeah. i mean the costumes alone <laughs> take a long time to assemble <laughs> well for what it's worth we we did do one game where everybody wore hats that had something to do with the country that they were playing and you could only drink a drink that was you know associated with that with that country so like the people playing the soviet union were only drinking vodka 
Holy shit. (laughs) Talk about a handicap. Nine and a half hours later, the Soviet Union was in the emergency room. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't, unfortunately, haven't played Axis and Allies for a very long time now. Now, I've certainly played a lot of other games, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about a lot of those games tonight that I enjoy just as much, but you can finish in an hour and a half, maybe two to three at the most. I'll definitely give you that. We've got uh, we've got friends that we uh, enjoy enjoy playing board games with, and probably once a month we'll sit around and I'll just get a I'll get a text message, uh, you know, Friday or Saturday, and I realize that six hours of my life are going to be dedicated to board games, but that the game itself should only take about an hour and a half. That the socialization is is just as important, but at the same time, um, and I I don't want to steal too much of, of what I imagine is going to be Reagan's thunder, but uh, the ability to pick a new game and immediately slide into it is. Uh, is absolutely critical because while we'll play one game over and over again, um, at the same time, <laughs> you guys are assholes. <laughs> For the podcast listeners, there were obscene gestures occurring just now. We won't we won't recount them. No, no, no. Some of them were actually creative and required a decent amount of brain power to figure out just what exactly and how many people were involved in that in that one particular gesture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I t- I'm totally with you. I think that uh, there it's more than just how long does the game take to play uh, that allows you to get it out and play it? Um, even if Axis and Allies took 45 minutes to play, it would probably still take an hour and a half to explain. And that's a big part of it too. In almost every board game I've sat down to play over the last few years, there's been at least some teaching component. Uh, you know, Usually yes. there's somebody new to the game who's sitting down with you um, or even if there's not, maybe it's a game you haven't played in a while and you kind of have to reteach yourself. So how easy the game is to teach is a huge part of whether it's something that's going to be in my rotation when I sit down to play board games with friends. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have to have games that will work on a more casual level where it might not be someone who has played a lot of board games, but it's you know a friend who's just in town and you want to play something uh, and you've got the games that require much more learning where that's like a a big commitment you know there's certain types of people who will enjoy a game like that but there's certainly the vast majority of people will not enjoy a game that takes a half an hour to learn Mm -hmm. and we're in the middle of a really great time for board games uh you know as uh as all of you guys know but um you know for, for those of our listeners who maybe are more uh video game oriented and aren't big board game players uh we're not talking about the kinds of games that you may have played as a kid i know when i was a very small child we would play clue which actually is still a pretty okay game and and risk which is you know has it's eh, it's fine shoots and ladders and, candy and, land yeah that kind of stuff has its i am place still a in... fan of yahtzee the strategy is mind-boggling <laughs> you have and, to uh... weight the dice just so <laughs> you would be the sort to weight dice at yahtzee but um, then when I was in college or thereabouts, um, actually, I suppose for me, it would be more like uh, high school. Um, I started hearing a little bit about the sort of new wave of games, which actually wasn't so new because really uh, companies like Avalon Hill and um, and some of those other uh, f- sort of first wave uh, strategy game companies from the 1970s and 80s started really revitalizing the genre. Another reason I'm glad we have Siba on the line for this is that those are, for the most part, described as German-style board games. Yes, or Euro games. And Siba is a speaker of German, in fact, himself a German. So the European, but specifically, I don't know why it is that Germany created this sort of revolution in board gaming. I think it actually it appealed to the German character that occasionally you have to carve out 30 to 45 minutes of fun a week. quickly let's get the box of fun down from the closet (laughs) now is the time for fun i'm sorry this one is only for five players katya you have to sit out you may have fun next week (laughs) you must guard the door (laughs) so true Um, draw the blinds we must not be seen when we have our fun so, uh, and I know for me that the very first game that sort of kicked this off was Settlers of Catan, which I've heard it, heard described as the monopoly of Germany. It's a hugely popular game over there, although actually it's 
it's no longer it no longer has a sort of fresh newness that it had when I when I first heard about it. Uh, I'll still haul it out and play it every now and then. And if you are looking for a game to introduce people to uh, more strategic European style, more interesting board games, it's still a really good choice for a first game. Uh, I wouldn't say it's still my favorite, but it's got its place in my uh, in my rotation. I'm a huge fan of Settlers Catan, and that is a game that I have played. Catan or Catan? What do we all say? Die Siedler von Catan. I usually say Catan, yeah. All right, then um, the German speaker agrees with you. It's a French city, isn't it? I guess. I've played that game, no joke, probably about a hundred and something times, because at my house, I've had a lot of different roommates over the years, and I've taught all of them how to play this game and we have a running scoreboard here at the house of who's won and there's i counted it earlier there's 74 tally marks right now and we quit keeping score after a while <laughs> so and i'm not saying i was a part of every one of those games but i was probably a part of at least 75 percent of those games and it was a perfect game for what we were talking about earlier. You can yeah. teach it to someone in maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, it's very easy to teach. Yeah, and it takes about eh, maybe two hours at the most, but most of the time an hour to an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, of that, of that two hours, half of it is spent drinking and joking about whoever is Wheat Lady today or you know what have you. The or who's got sheep, basically... who, wood for sheep, that kind of thing. Uh, it's uh, It's also got a really... Uh, there's got a, a it's a very approachable for new players and another big benefit of it is that it's fairly flexible on the number of players and i think that's really important because you'll never really be able to plan out your gaming time in terms of well i know that we are going to have exactly six players and we must have six players and if john doesn't show then we're not going to be able to play our game stupid john that's, that's the biggest problem for me uh and the reason that i'm almost never able to play my first true love, which is role-playing games anymore, is because you have to get a fairly decent number of people together at the same time every week. Yeah. And if any of them are gone, it's not always very straightforward to deal with their absence. So we'll, we'll get that paranoia session set up. The, yeah. the other, the other thing uh, that that's, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over, but, uh, the thing about this style of board game that Catan is the one, I guess, to introduce, and I, and I think you're right about the, the monopoly of board games. The thing with Monopoly is when you got to pa- about past the halfway point, there was the guy who was going to win, <laughs> there was someone who had a chance, and then there was everybody else really wanting to just go drink beer and bake cakes. I know. I remember every game of Monopoly I've ever played, I either just completely curb stomped everyone else, or... I was positive I wasn't going to win and essentially got super bored and tried to find irritating ways to throw the game towards the last half. And when, that game goes for hours if you when don't When we play, play Risk, right. uh, we'd play for, it'd be a four-hour game, but really after the first 20, 30 minutes, uh, it would be my mother and my father and my, my brother and I. And my mother and my brother, my mother would have lost. My brother would have said, I'm bored. Somebody always walks away and then ends up like randomly handing their their cards and their money to some other player, which wrecks the game because then you you can't uh, you can't eliminate that person. It just extends it, makes it even it's, worse. It's true. At the mechanism that came, the mechanism though that Catan, I guess, at least for us, and I know at least for the three of us, you know, sitting there playing board games is as teenagers that had dates lined up out the window. I mean, just waiting in line, <laughs> but choosing to spend time with each other instead. Really, um, we were we were true uh, true bros, a, a three man wolf pack. Ow! Go on. <laughs> the, the the concept that was interesting is though that Catan is weighted so that it's weighted against whoever's ahead, mm-hmm. in such a way that not only can the other players hurt you, but the actual mechanics of the game are structured so that by the time that you're ahead, uh, with a few exceptions, there are ways to. There are ways to get around that, and there are strategies to get around that. And maybe we like can Mario later. Kart. <laughs> but, Absolutely yeah, one, like Another Mario great Kart. casual game that's easy to learn. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and another part of that other... is the... And another part of that is the scoring system. Um, right, Euro games in general, and, uh, and Catan in particular, often, rather than 
working on a, uh, a elimination type of structure where people are clearly and obviously eliminated early in the game. I'm looking at you, Risk. Uh, you know, people just get killed in that game, and it's like one player down after another until it's attrition between two players. And what do the other four players do while those two players are hashing out the last bit of the game? It's boring. So I know, I know, you've got a beer, you can drink, but it's just not the same as a game like Catan or like practically every other game in this style where you're basing it on a victory points total. Usually that victory points total is private so that even if you're losing, you still have like the thought like, well, I don't really know exactly where other people are at. Maybe I can improve my stakes and come in second. So the the idea of doing the scoring at the end and every player being engaged in the game until the end really makes the game flow and makes each player feel like they're accomplishing something, even if they happen to be losing. Yeah. Yeah, it was virtually impossible to ever have a real sense of victory on most of the older games that we all grew up playing. Because like you guys have been kind of saying, by the time you won, it had been obvious that you were going to win for like an hour and a half so no one like when you finally win it's more like oh all right i've done it game over and everybody else is like has lost interest so long ago that you have no real sense of satisfaction yeah everyone's like oh i just let you win because i i dropped out i'll I'll just give you that uh that katana is the example that probably is what we end up playing with our with our group of friends half the time because we almost don't have to think about at this point but by the time you get to the very end you're getting the 10 points and Whoever's about to get 10, you got somebody at 8, you got somebody at 9, and you got every single one of them saying, oh, it, I, it, I, I, you know, I would have had you with one more round. If only that one moment I had gotten that one unit of whatever, I could have totally beat you. Yeah, and there's a heavy trading mechanism in Settlers of, of Catan, and at that point, everyone's just like, ignore that guy. We're not trading with him because... We're going to stall this as much as possible. More more than that, you end up with what, or at least what we, we end up doing, you know, and there's, you know, in Monopoly, there's a trading mechanism. But in reality, it's it's not used until you start getting the house rules. But Catan, what you'll end up with is the, the person that everyone has in their head. Okay, wait, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine. Oh, shoot, this may be the last round. You end up with people that are not number two saying, okay, how can we get the number two to beat the number one? <laughs> yeah. They're like, I, I realize I'm going to lose, but I want to stick it to the guy that I think is ahead. Yeah, and that kind of horse trading actually makes the game more fun because yeah. it gives the people who are in last place some power in the outcome of the game. So I think we've really, we've really identified one of the big... Um, themes of these sort of German style uh, board games, but there's another one that we're kind of dancing around, and that is that like Monopoly or Clue, these kinds of games tend to have like a really strong theme to them. You know, like we you you've got a lot of American board games that are like quote unquote classics or or you know traditional board games like uh, everything from Cribbage, Backgammon. I don't know what Cribbage is. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's isn't that the thing with the pegs? Yeah. Okay. I've never. Uh, I own a set because someone gave me one for like a random gift, and uh, it's sitting upstairs uh, collecting dust because I have absolutely no idea how that game works or why one would ever play mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I've got a really beautiful backgammon set, and I, I love it very much. Of course. The the one All thing right. I, I will say that that if, if before before jumping on too far, that mm-hmm. uh, you, you bring up backgammon. And uh, groups of people to play with, and Reagan, you touched on it earlier that you play with Jamie at the uh, at the end of the day more than anybody else because captive audience. Jamie is my wife. Yeah, and and I do the same thing with with my wife Heather. Half so the, not half a captive. Games... Of course uh, not. That would sense. be wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. Texas is a community property state. I have half of my own freedom of movement and all that kind of crap. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but half the time, playing a board game means on a Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening that, well, I don't want to cook today. We're going to the pub. Okay. What game do you want to bring? Which means we have to be able to pl- bring something like, you know, like Backgammon, which you can play almost blindly if you play enough games. But the alternative and the ability to bring a game, you know, uh, uh, the, closest, you know the quickest 
other game that will probably bring uh, other back in is Cargo Zone, which mm. it's great game. It's not mindless That's, because uh, right. there's actually a lot of strategy yeah. to it. But you can pick it up at the same time. You can kill the game in 10 seconds when your food comes. Yeah, behind uh, Settlers of Catan, Cargazan is probably the other game that I've played the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're a big uh, board gamer, you know, in that sort of... Uh, if you if you are into the board gaming hobby, then you're probably going to find most of the games that we talk about today not particularly surprising. We're going to be talking about a lot of these games that are really big popular games in the genre. And they're the kind of games that have been expanded on, have been imitated, have been adapted into... In fact, one of the things I was hoping we could chat about a little later would be uh, online play. Because uh, a lot of these games have adaptations that will let you play online with your friends. So if you are a board game hobbyist, a lot of the games we're going to be talking about probably not going to be huge surprises. That said, um, I think that we want to make sure that this is uh, approachable for newcomers, and we hope maybe it'll still be interesting for you. If you are a true dyed-in-the-wool board gaming hobbyist, our intent is to do more of these board game episodes from time to time, and hopefully when we come back and chat again, uh, we're going to have some more uh, obscure picks or ones that maybe are a little off the beaten path. Um, uh, but Carcassonne is a hugely popular game. Easy, easy, easy to pick up. Uh, pretty cheap, frankly. You can get it on Amazon for like, I don't know, 30 bucks, something like that. Yeah, Carcassonne was the first of this, you know, world that I'd ever played. And from that moment on, I just have expanded and have a, a pretty large collection of my own at this point in every single Carcassonne expansion that ever existed, which by the way, don't try to play them all at the same time because it ends up being like a five hour mess. <laughs> yeah. Pick one or two expansions at the most. Yeah. Learn that. I do. Uh, I do love, I do love the, the night uh, expansion because mm-hmm. uh, it, it fits perfectly as a spacer in the box so that all the cards now, uh, <laughs> now go all the way across. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, I actually don't own the physical version of Carcassonne, and I haven't played it in a physical version in kind of a long time, but they have such an amazing iOS version, like uh, for the iPhone and iPad. Uh, It's made by a company called The Coding Monkeys. They are really skilled developers from, I think, Germany, and uh, they just built the most incredibly beautiful app. With art by the Icon Factory, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. The Icon Factory did the art. It looks gorgeous. It plays incredibly well. It has uh, both in-person multiplayer, if you want to sit around an iPad and kind of pass it back and forth, uh, or great over-the-internet multiplayer uh, in the kind of, uh, if you've played a game like Words with Friends or something like that, it has the asynchronous multiplayer style like that game does. It is absolutely an incredibly polished app. It has a price to match, but you will not regret buying it. It is an absolutely fantastic app. And actually, that was something I wanted to touch on. Um, obviously, we're probably going to be doing a show uh, pretty soon here about iOS games uh, and maybe even about uh, turn-based iOS games. But um, board games have been a huge area of development for uh, online games, both on computers and particularly on smartphones and tablets, because really, there's almost no better way to play a board game over the over great distance than on something like an iPhone or an iPad. Um, just a few uh, to name to name my favorites. I absolutely love that Carcassonne adaptation we talked about. Shane and I played a whole lot of an adaptation of Reiner Kinesia's uh, Samurai. See, but do you know how to pronounce his name? Like German game dev- designer. I think it's Reiner Kinesia. I can look it up. But Reiner, yeah, Reiner Kinesia sounds yeah. about right. Okay, that guy's fantastic, and his game Samurai, uh, I own it in a physical form, but I've played a ton of it on the iPad and iPhone. Um, and there's many, many others. The, there's a fantastic adaptation of Small World for the iPad that only recently got completely uh, redone from scratch as a part of a nice Kickstarter campaign. Uh, it's a fantastic app. Oh, yeah, that, they, that version is now fabulous. Yeah, and you can play that over the internet with uh, several friends on iPads. It won't play on an iPhone, which is a bit of a pain, but uh, it really takes advantage of a beautiful iPad screen. And uh, there's a ton of others. Uh, Space Hulk, for example. Uh, is a uh, board game from uh, Game Workshop that you can uh, play on the iPad or over distance uh, with uh, friends online. And it even has cross-play with the PC version. So there's a ton of great options. 
Uh, also, if you, uh, we're going to drop some links into the show notes for links to places you can play games on your computer because there's actually quite a lot of really good web-based board game adaptations that you can load right up in your web browser and play great board games like some of the ones we're going to be talking about today uh, with people on the internet, either your friends or just random strangers. Uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give you that. I'm looking forward to the iOS one, though I, I have to throw out as much as it... Uh... I, I I have I was ridiculously addicted to then took a six month sabbatical and then have not stopped since then playing Hero Academy. Oh which my is god! Kind of an angry Hobbit simplified chess game. That I just went is... back to Hero Academy. Actually, what's I... your gamer tag, please? <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> we'll share. I'll, I'll, shoot, I'll shoot you a note in the. I'll shoot you a note in the thing, and I'll start a. Please I'll do. start a game with Reagan here the next time he opens his mouth because. Uh, Guys, can I just that... say I've downloaded three three apps in the last one minute. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of really amazing Uh, apps in this category, and I hope that we can someday do a a show going into more detail about them. But the meat of our show, I was hoping, would be talking about some of our particular picks. Small World, and Small World has a fabulous iPad app, but the very best way to play it, as I believe, uh, you know, I think most people will agree, is around a table full of drunk people. Absolutely. Small World well, is... Let's, let's amend that to tipsy, because if you're truly drunk, you're going to be shit at it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Small World is a it's a game from a, a designer called Philippe K. Arts. He's not German, he's Belgian, so I guess, you know, uh, that's a mark against the game. But <laughs> it's a game that I would kind of compare to Risk in a lot of ways. You know, it's a, it's a gla- game of global conquest, but it is a fantasy game uh, of go- global conquest where... Um, civilizations rise and fall for every player several times throughout the game. And it's kind of a... um, Reading about the backstory of it, it's a follow-up. It's like a fantasy version of a game called Vinci. Uh, I never got to play Vinci. Or sorry, Vici. Vici? Yeah, as in Vini, Vidi, Vici. Ah, well, I I never got a chance to play that, but it it looks pretty interesting. Uh, Small World is an absolutely fantastic game, though. I, it's I, a huge uh, blast. I know that you, yeah. Siba, have a copy of Small World Underground, which is a like a follow-up to Small World. Um, that's the version I have, too. That's that's oh, yeah. the one I bought after visiting you, and I'm at, I told Shane earlier today I was, I'm irritated because I have no idea who scampered off with it. Oh, bummer. Yeah, I had, I've played Small World one time, and that was with Reagan. We should play that again. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's it's a game that I think is great. I actually we've been talking about games that you can teach to someone easily, so that you can actually have someone to play with. At least I think that's my interpretation of some of what we're talking about. Yeah. And I had that experience a couple of days ago. Um, I had four friends over, and two of us had played the game before. Uh, two of us had not, and. I think it's a good, um, it's a credit to the game when I say that the person that won was one of the two people that had not played it before. I think that really is a good quality in a game. You don't want a game that has obvious, or excuse me, has easy to execute but not obvious killer strategies. (sighs) Unless I know them. Because if it has that, then the people who have observed those strategies will immediately trounce everybody, and that's yep, no it's good. It's true. Uh, the it is so the, much more fun to trounce people using a different strategy every time, <laughs> as yes, you well know. But in something we haven't talked about, on that same note, though, one of the hallmarks of these games is that luck is no longer the dominant factor. True. It's not That's a candy true. land where we are rolling a dice and moving seven it's, it's, boxes. Or, or yeah, something. sorry, or anything like that. Yeah, Luck is a good leveling factor. Like, if you've got a bunch of people of different skill levels, having 
luck in play is a good thing, I think. And so almost all the board games I've ever played have some element of luck, more much more often than not. L- luck is absolutely still a major player in, in virtually all these games, some more than other. But it's not just, I really, really need to roll a six. I rolled a six. Yay, I get to land on this and I get this card. Like, you might need to I roll mean, a six, but you've got a lot of options and it's how you built your, you know, whatever, whether rolling a six is a good thing or a bad thing. Games where there is luck, but you make your own luck. I, I, agree, I agree, but I'll, and, I, and I'll give it one of the games that I really enjoy that uh, either Reagan or Shane, may a couple gentlemen, I don't remember who it was that introduced it to me, was Puerto Rico. That oh, I yeah. enjoyed. I have not played that in a while. Puerto Rico is extra difficult. Because, because there is no luck involved. There's not a single dice or card in the box, really. Correct. The mechanics of Puerto Rico are such that it is entirely strategic and based on not only the strategy that you put in play, but your read of the strategy of the other two or three players involved. Which is fun if you're playing it 50 times with, you know, if, I, if I'm sitting in a room with you gentlemen and we've got 20 hours to kill, we'll play Puerto Rico a few times. But if I'm playing with somebody new, it means that at the end of the day, they're at such a disadvantage, they're going to get their ass kicked the first few times. And they may and not, not have as much fun. fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Puerto Rico is a great game. It's a well-respected game, and it is it is absolutely a good game. It's fun to play if you know it and your opponent knows it. Absolutely. But it's a game that the first two to four times you play it, you're going to have a hard time, and you're likely to lose probably by quite a bit. So I, I think that's a great example of a great game that I don't think fits well into my current gaming lifestyle. And that's sad because I like the game, but I haven't actually opened the box. It's sitting on my shelf. Haven't opened the box in probably two years. Makes me kind of sad. You should go open that box. Go open that box, Reagan. Yeah, but Small World, uh, back to Small World, I've opened that box a million times. Uh, Well, not a million, but many, Tell us about it, Shane. So... Back to the things that I think make Small World unique. So, as I mentioned, it's a game of kind of uh, conquest, um, of, you know, territory taking and, and, and gathering of points from that. Uh, and at the beginning of the game, you're going to choose a race, and the races are themselves sort of random. So every race in the game is a combination of two things. A noun, something like elves or dwarves, Um, And an adjective like mounted or um, bivouacking (laughs) or (laughs) flying or underwater. So you might have the underwater dwarves or the flying elves. And so when you're when you're choosing your race, you consider the benefits of both of those things. Every. Every race has two unique attributes. So, for example, if I choose the Tritons, which are like fish people, uh, then their benefit is that they can live in and colonize and move through oceans and lakes. Uh, But if I choose uh, mounted, um, uh, mounted Tritons, they can not only move through those areas, they can get a bonus point, um... Or I think the mounted is they're they're having it takes one less of them to take over a territory that's a certain kind kinds of territory like um, like hills and fields. So it, the races are always really fun because they're kind of random. The art is silly, mm-hmm. and the combinations themselves get kind of silly. So mm-hmm. you might have flying dwarves. Something like that. But something important to note is that you don't just have to take the randomly chosen for you uh, combination. Uh, When you are choosing your race, you get a choice of at least four or five, I forget, maybe six different possibilities. Um, And uh, some of them you have to pay out a little bit in terms of, you know, paying victory coins up front, which puts you at a slight disadvantage in order to take possibly a better or more advantageous race. Um, but they've really balanced it in such a way that you get a really good opportunity to get a race that's going to play well for your current strategy. So you get to pick your race out of a randomly generated pool of, of options. And even to that, there's there's a, an incentive because you're getting extra, I don't remember if it was cash or victory points, 
or if they were the same in small it's world, the honestly. same in small world actually yeah the, the, you you get an extra victory point if a if a player is or if a a, a race is not taken after a certain yeah. point so, so if everybody has skipped over the i don't know i'm gonna make up sniveling druids loser druids yeah um, if everybody has skipped over them for six turns, then there might have been actually a little pile of coins piled up on, on them, and you might take them just to get the little pile of coins. And you so, end up yeah, burning a turn, right but end. you burn that turn, and you make more than you would have had you played exactly more advantageous. So they make it really fun to choose races, but then of course you have to play the races. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the territory taking is a really simple strategy, a lot like any of these kinds of games if you if you could play risk you can play the the combat elements of small yeah, world combat is super fun super simple and low on the low on the randomness one of the things i like about it as opposed to a game like risk is risk you're essentially rolling dice again and again and again and again and the randomness gets compounded to the point where essentially the outcomes are barely even remotely predictable at past a certain point but in small world there's essentially no randomness. It's simply, you know, you're essentially just comparing one number to another. And the only randomness really comes in when you're essentially um, playing your very last move. Uh, you get a possible dice roll to do a little bit of extra just at the very end of your turn. So really, the, there is some dice rolling involved in the combat, but it's super minimal. And it keeps it uh, easy to understand what is happening and what is going to happen when you enter combat you never enter combat wondering will i kill this or won't i it's always at least mostly clear the other thing that i think makes this game super unique is uh the mechanic of going into decline putting your race into decline oh yeah each player through the game will take a a sequence of these races and the races can only really be effective for so long for for, for reasons of just being able to take, you know, spreading yourself thin. You're incentivized to take over as much territory as you can, because that's how you're going to get points. But as you do that, you're spreading yourself thinner and thinner and thinner. And in terms of, you know, your fighting force. So once you've gotten a, a fair amount of territory taken over, it benefits you to go into decline. And that means that your race tokens are all flipped over. They can no longer do anything except sit there. And barely defend themselves. But you get to go and grab a new race and field that onto the board. And ideally, so, you'll be able to do that several times throughout the game. So that you get that sort of beginning of the game rush of new power uh, several times. It really is a kind of a fun thing. And deciding when to do that is one of the most intensely strategic things in the game. Yeah, it, it, it can often kind of waste a whole turn to do it. So uh, when you... Uh, are choosing your new race and to going into decline you are basically skipping a turn to do that so you have to do it very strategically in order to not lose momentum in terms of your points mm -hmm. i think small world is a great pick i've been playing that game for several years now and it's got a number of expansions and a number of new versions uh, if you want to try it out without having to gather a bunch of friends together the ipad version is top-notch absolutely a fantastic game it's got a good ai that you can play against it makes it easy to find people to play against on the internet each individual game how long would you say it usually takes to play a, a game of small world with a say two or three players Jane? well the thing about the ipad version is that it's limited to two players that's not true anymore what yeah you didn't have you played it <laughs> since the uh 2.0 version came out i thought i had but Shane, didn't you read oh the show notes? Didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is actually one of the great things about the Small World iPad game. The Small World uh, game for the iPad was one of the very first board game to iPad game conversions. I remember playing it on my very first generation iPad. So it must have come out, you know, the very same year that the iPad first became available. It was a very early outing. Um, and it was really great, but it had a couple of key limitations. It had no online play at all. It had a decent AI you could play against, but it also was limited to two players only. So you could only play against an AI or against one friend who was sitting right there with you. Um, then recently, relatively recently, I'm not exactly sure when, but you know, in the last year, uh, Days of Wonder, the company that uh, that owns the rights to the game, 
went back to the drawing board and actually did a Kickstarter campaign. Kind of a weird thing, a little bit controversial because, I mean, it's essentially, uh, they, they positioned it as, we're going to do this new version of the game regardless, but they did a Kickstarter campaign to fund the development of it, and they gave out some bonuses in terms of, I don't know, um, physical copies of the game signed by designers and that kind of thing. I thought it was a little bit odd. I did not actually fund it myself, but I was very pleased to discover that they, as a part of that, um, you know, thanks guys who funded that Kickstarter campaign because I directly benefited from it. Uh, they updated <laughs> the game that I had already bought with tons of new features. So it got great online play that just works incredibly well. You have to set up an account with their service, but I mean, it works really, really well. And they upped the number of players that you could play to match that of the board game. So you can now, Shane, play it with multiple players on the internet. Um, I say finally, but I was so pleased with the with the game before that. that. It doesn't matter to me. It's stunning. And the game really plays well with two players, but it plays really well with four. I'd say yeah, that's but the I, sweet I spot I wouldn't game. gloss over that. The thing about Small World that you can play with is you can sit there and play with two people, which means, and, and bring it a little bit back to uh, what, what you guys talk about week after week of the ability to squeeze it in, which means, hey, I've got you. I've got you for 45 minutes. Let's play right now. Mm-hmm. It's one of and the few games that I can convince that. my wife to play with me on a regular basis. And we tend to do the iPad game partly just because it's so quick to set up. You don't have to count out a bunch of tokens or lay out a board and clear off the table. I, too, also prefer electronic interaction with my wife. If there is one flaw to this game, I think it is not necessarily a flaw per se, but it is a huge number of tokens. They do make it reasonable yeah. to manage them, but you're right. It has a lot of little bits. Yeah. But sometimes that's fun, you know? All the yeah, tokens are bright and I colorful agree. and have good art on them. And it's a fun game to manage. And they do a good job of, of putting it together. You get a little tray to keep your tokens in with a little snap-on lid. So it's actually a really well-put-together game in terms of physical product. Great game. Um, I highly recommend it. You can grab it on Amazon, and we will put a link to it in the show notes. It's not a particularly expensive game. That's one of the wonderful things about uh, the board game landscape today is that some of these games have gotten popular enough that the cost of getting these games has come down and you can pick them up for not that much money and you'll get a ton of play out of one copy of one of these games. So I'd say Shane, excellent pick with small world. I love the game. We're going to put in all kinds of links and this would be a great recommendation to, to check out. Yeah. There's, by the way, there are tons of expansions for small world, both in the digital and the real world version. Uh, there's three basic expansions, one called Grand Dames that adds several new female races to the game. Female uh, races, as opposed to, yeah, you know, male races. You know, yes, exactly. You know, so dwarves are boys, <laughs> and I don't know what are girls, but they're, they are quote-unquote female races. Basically, they wanted more than just Amazons. Shane, we'll have, uh, we'll have remedial, remedial lessons afterwards to distinguish between male and female. Don't worry, it's all online. Uh, it, I can find pictures of that on the internet. Google is your friend, my friend. Of ladies? Because yes, I think you can. I think that's why the internet was made. Yeah, so it's it says, introduces some new leading ladies to your small world games. Gypsies, priestesses, and white ladies. That's, uh, but that's back weird, to the but okay. other, there's an expansion called Curses. Uh, there's one called Be Not Afraid. Be Not Afraid has very you know frightening barbarian races and things like that pixies homunculi pygmies leprechauns all sorts of fun stuff and new powers to be played with uh, i think adding new races and powers is a great way to spice this game up once you've had a little bit of time with it hmm. um, particularly because essentially certain combinations combinations of races and powers really become the sort of key strategies of the game i wouldn't say that it ever because they get randomized i wouldn't say that it ever feels like oh everyone knows that the guy who picks the flying dwarves is going to win because you get these this random combination but um it, it does it is nice to be able to throw new elements into a game that you've already played Mm -hmm. There's also other expansions that kind of add new gameplay elements, one called uh, Tales and Legends that adds these event cards that affect the gameplay, and uh, all sorts of different things. Cool. Well, that's awesome. So, um, so Nate, did you come prepared with a pick this week? Yeah, I quite honestly, I had initially thought about talking about about Settlers of Catan, and because I've played that game so much, but it choice. dawned on me as we were all talking about it. 
Yeah, but it's obvious that that is one of those like instrumental games, and I thought we had a pretty good discussion of it to start the uh, episode. So I have decided that I wanted to talk about a game that's relatively new to my collection, but that I've been having a lot of fun with, and I think it fits everything that we've been talking about earlier, and that's called Ticket to Ride. Have any of you guys ever played this game? Yes, of course. Uh, Absolutely. Only only got a couple of chances out there. I've played it probably ten or more times. It's uh, yeah, so it was actually a, the, uh, the most recent one that we taught our taught our friends, and I've got six or seven. Why don't you love me anymore? Text messages uh, of needing <laughs> to play it this week. Oh, yeah, it's a very good. And, game. and I don't think I don't think that there's an easier game to teach to anybody out there. At least not that I've played yet. Carcassonne is easy, but it does have some intricacies. This game. Uh, it, it can't be any simpler. It was released in 2004 uh, by Days of Wonder, who we just talked about with uh, Small World. They've kind of got their hands in a lot of board game pies, it seems. Yeah, they're a great company to look to for these types of games, but but, but specifically for these types of games that are on the easier-to-pick-up side. Their games tend towards the not-super-crazy-complex, uh, easy-to-teach... Uh, you know, nice, friendly, approachable art, reasonably priced. They're a really great company for this kind of thing. Not to mention the fact that they seem to be really firing on all cylinders when it comes to their iOS ports. Ticket to Ride is another app, uh, game that has a great app version um, that we might talk about in a little bit of detail. Absolutely. I mean, the basic goal of this game is to build a very long train. You're sat in front of a Uh, map of you can do the united states there's a ton of different expansions out there with different maps of different countries Um, and players have one of two options whenever it's their turn and that's either to draw train cards those are handed in to build their trains or build their trains now there's a third option which is to grab more destination cards which is another aspect of it but for the most part everybody has will do one of those two things and gameplay can fly by you can play with two to five players and even with five players you might have a turn every three to four minutes once you've got a group that really knows yeah it's a super fast paced game it's a little like i think that carcassonne is probably the fastest paced game we've discussed that game it's just tile 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 sometimes gets just really moving but uh ticket to ride is also a game that just flies by once people really get into it yeah, and it has that kind of like masked who's winning element at the at the moment because everybody has these cards that are hidden to everybody else and their main objective is to complete routes from one city to another based on the cards that they drew randomly from the beginning of the game. And some of them may be very long routes, some of them may be, may be very short, but nobody knows what routes you have. And nobody knows what your overarching strategy is. And so it might look like one person is is doing very well, but they might not actually have that many completed destinations. And so it's really hard mm-hmm. to tell who's winning all the way through. It does have that sort of some of your objectives are secret. And so uh, some people might be able to tell that you are doing well, but they might not exactly be able to tell how well because a lot of the things that you're trying to achieve, the, the destinations on your tickets are known only to you until you know they happen. I'll give you. I'll give you that. And and uh, I admit I I have not played the original version. Yeah, but, and there's... Uh, we have two of the expansions that uh, that uh, are great in that you know you, you're right. You may not know the objective, but the objective may be from Moscow to Lisbon, right? Well, you get halfway there, and everybody on the board knows where you are. And the way that the the, the board themselves are set up, you know, you're going from city to city to city to city. The center of the board is the absolute most complex you know, convoluted mass of it. So people are able to basically stand in your way. They're mm-hmm. able to, with their with their turn, give you the finger <laughs> and force you to go around. It's not that they're necessarily killing you, but they're absolutely sidetracking you, even though they're only kind of half halfway guessing as to what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of good player interaction in that. Yeah. That's something yeah, else I that think I think that's, makes a good game is I think that's that the one players of the sort of directly of interact. Yeah, I, I think it, it's... It definitely can be a challenge for new players when you've got a game that's not necessarily 
that's extremely kind of competitive in the way that Ticket to Ride is. I would say that Ticket to Ride uh, might be more competitive even than than uh, the game that I chose, uh, Small World, in terms of your ability to really mess with somebody else's strategy. But maybe it's just that it's not a straightforward you and me up against each other on the battlefield. So when you get into these games that I think they're a little bit less accessible for the brand new player, they they take a kind of an approach of, of combat or, or versus uh, gameplay, not combat, that's not a straightforward you versus me, I've got more guys than you. And that takes a lot more uh, analysis of the situation, I think. Yeah, I think this game, though, like there's definitely an element of I'm going to build this so that you can't. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. you have a finite amount of resources. And for the most part, your main goal is to complete your own tracks. And if you can, in doing so, severely hinder another player, you're going to do that. But thus far in the amount of that I've played, and I've probably played it at this point, you know, in that same kind of like 10 to 15, uh, but with the same group of people, most people don't set out just to be a disruptor. Yeah. You can play that where you have no overarching goal. You are just actively building where everyone else wants to build to stop it. But I don't know that that would necessarily be a, a good strategy, maybe with a smaller group. But for the most part, you're actually just worrying about your own train and how you're going to get there and how you're going to collect enough cards and Mm -hmm. hoping that no one gets in your way yeah it's a great game for groups where uh, i i feel like it has a friendly feel but it still has that ability for players to interfere with each other in ways that feel like a good friendly competition that that sort of contrasts it with games like uh, puerto rico where i feel like there's very little interaction between the characters or the players excuse me because uh, a game like puerto rico uh, everyone has their own strategy their own um sort of board i mean actually that actually is an extreme each player has their own separate board you're not even playing on the same board so it's very difficult for the players to interact with each other uh, it feels at times a little bit like sort of you know multiplayer solitaire but uh, Ticket to Ride is a great example of a game where the players are directly butting heads, but in a way that doesn't seem directly combative. It's more like, oh, why didn't I foresee that you were going to do that? You know, that kind of thing. Or I should have built that first. Well, that's the issue. It speaks to what Shane, what Shane uh, mentioned a little bit ago of it's, it's not about combat. It's I'm building my route. The old, mm-hmm. you know, and, in, you know, in theory... I'm as happy to let you build your route as I am about mine because I'm pretty sure that I made a better choice to start with. So I'm still going to get more points. Oh, are we building the same play? Q. <laughs> and I continue. Uh, you know, if you want to build a round, that's your business. It just is a little harder for you because I, you know, as the better player, I just mm-hmm. need a more direct route. Mm-hmm. So Ticket to Ride is absolutely a fantastic choice. And actually, this is an interesting one. Um, I don't know if it's just that, uh, that that company has done a good job of uh, making partnerships and that sort of thing, but the prices on their games are very reasonable, and they've been starting to get them into a lot of places. I've seen Ticket to Ride on sale in the board game section at Target, which blew my mind because it was sitting right there next to, you know, uh, Trivial Pursuits Twilight Edition. And it's amazing that this... Uh, nerdy hobby has suddenly began to find as much penetration into sort of popular culture as it has. So this is a game that you can find and pick up and play, you know, right now if you want. And it's speaking easily going to be a fun game. Speaking to play. of Twilight Edition, didn't this have a version where you built a railroad on the moon? I think you're thinking of Age of Steam, which did okay, have a version. Okay, I'm sorry. It's Age of Steam. Uh, while we're on the topic of train games, uh, Le- the very best game in all of gamedom is Age of Steam. It is not a short game. It is not appropriate for our show, but it is the very best game in all of uh, board games. It is so dear to my heart. I love that game so much. And I don't care if it's complicated to teach and difficult to round up enough people to play. I will do it. I will grind you all into dust with that game. Challenge accepted. Such a great game. If I remember correctly, we've played that one time, and in fact, I was the winner. So yeah, yeah, don't. Thank you very d- much. It, it, I'm I'm editing that out. <laughs> no, Reagan, you taught me too. <laughs> oh my god, I 
I never claimed to be good at games. I only enjoy playing and talking about them. I do. Wa- I do want to put a uh, a note for uh, for what Age of Wonder has done with uh, with uh, Ticket to Ride, in that it's the only board game that has actually, I think, moved my father to emotion. Um, <laughs> they they did a uh, they did an edition where they partnered with the German train um, model train company Merklin. Which makes uh, little model oh, trains that, that, that run on electric tracks, and uh, the version I have is is the Merklin game. So normally in the the various editions of Ticket to Ride, there are uh, as part of the mechanics of the game, you get the little cards with the trains on them. All of the white trains are the same. In the Merklin edition, they uh, they route through all of the various uh, trains that they have made over. I want to say 80 years of making model trains. So every single card is different. Every single card is a work of art. It's gorgeous. And uh, it was great because it was the only time I've been able to have him distracted while playing a card game because he's flipping through them and I can see what he's flipping. <laughs> but uh, the, and the, while they're... he was flipping through looking at the art, you were destroying his trains. But uh, hey, I learned from him. But uh, but uh, the, the 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 one thing I do want to throw out there, Nate, because you mentioned that there are several uh, editions of it. The uh, the two versions that I've played that have added something to the mechanics are the 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 German and the European. Uh, maps. The German one adds the passenger, whose job is to uh, you can you can build your route and then get more points by going along the route, which gives you an extra kind of way to add to your score. Uh, the other the other addition is the the European one, which takes that and goes it even one farther and allows you to uh, build your route through somebody else's route by building stations. Um, so while they can hose you, you can then turn it back on them. And it's it's interesting that the the mechanics of the game are so changed by the addition of just one little little tweak because it gives you that additional option to uh, to get around or get around really your friends who have hosed you or hose your friends in different ways. That's the amazing thing about a game with as simple a mechanic as uh, as this game. It, 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 even just a small tweak can really transform the experience because it's just so well honed and so simplified. Yeah, that's like Carcassonne. Uh, there's some expansions that allow you to re- remove opposing players' meeples, and that changes the game so dramatically. Where at one point, you know, points on the board were points on the board, nothing you, anyone could do about it. The ability to remove it just dramatically changes the way the game plays. Can I also add that it allows me to say the word meeple in casual conversation and that that just <laughs> adds a little bit of validation in my life that it was sorely needing? For those of you who may not be familiar, that is a common word in the board gaming, um, you know, um, hobby. And I think it I think comes it means from Carcassonne. Model, I think it means model people. Actually, I've never heard that, but that makes perfect sense. I never yeah, heard I, I only I heard it only... In reference, or came from Carcassonne. I don't yeah. know if that's where people. it started, but they have these little tiny people yeah. that are made of wood, and uh, those are your meeples. And that's just a word that people use as if that was a perfectly normal thing to say. Isn't that strange? <laughs> it's oh, well, it's since we're talking about this game women. and expansions, it has had many expansions and many different. On top of all the different alternate versions of the game, like you know the the version for the European or American maps, there have been some expansions for particular times. Like I know there's a 1910 and 1912 that add kind of new elements to the game. Uh, but then when I was looking at the list of expansions, my eye was drawn to an expansion called Alvin and Dexter, which adds two giant monsters that stomp and zap their way through the map. One, a terrifying T-Rex. The other, a menacing robot. Oh, I've got Christmas gifts for the in-laws. Oh my god. (laughs) Suddenly, I really want that game. Yes. Uh, Dexter, by the way, is the giant uh, T-Rex, and Alvin is some sort of space UFO robot monster. And they're they're somehow disrupting the trains? I... In the art, Dexter is shown to be eating trains. Perfect. <laughs> Naturally. T-Rexes have that uh, that affinity. A thirst for train blood. Mm-hmm. Well, once you've had it, that's amazing. Go back. Then you're yeah. full for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the trains are quite filling. Uh, yes, uh, apparently no one can build a route into or out of a city that is suffering from monster chaos. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds well, like that sounds like a definite buy. 
All right, Gentle- yeah. gentlemen. I do. I do want to throw on here, and I know it's you know you're talking about board games that people can uh, fit into their busy lives, which means that my two favorite games of all time, Civilization Two and SimCity Two Thousand, do not qualify for. Then no, you'll be I'm unemployed. Afraid. No. Have you played the Civilization board game? It's quite detailed. I have. It's it's good, but. I still have my ported version of Windows 95 so that I can play Civ 2. <laughs> well, you should come back when we talk about Civ. We are um it's very difficult to really How fit into the format. How could we ever call Civ a short game? No, you're I so have, right. Uh, I I I I consider myself a big lover of Civ, but oh my goodness. We yeah, I've been playing Civ, Civ since Civ 2 and that is the last game I would call a short game. Yeah, that might actually be the last game that I would call a short game. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll do uh, we'll do a series of Bizarro World episodes where we do uh, long games. But uh, short game special edition, time suck edition. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but uh, the Civ games are absolutely not short games. Uh, I once played a game of Civilization, the board game, which actually bears a lot of mechanical similarities to some of the um, uh, Civilization computer games. Although it's you know it's it's got some differences. Uh, yeah, you, you take pauses to eat I've and breathe. We started at two p.m. and I don't think I went home until at least three in the morning, and uh, I had to go out and get food uh, twice during that board game. <laughs> That sounds like a normal night of Civ. Mm-hmm. And if it were the video game, you would only be about halfway done. Mm-hmm. On the topic of fitting games into your life, that was a time when I was living in New York and I was poor and had nothing to do. And so I found the New York uh, board and card game meetup group. And uh, actually, if you are having trouble finding people to play these types of games with, or if you just want to try a lot of games then you should look up your local board and card game meetup group. Meetup.com is a great resource for this. Another would be if you just go into your local game stores, there's almost always a good board game store in your town, I promise, and just ask around. Uh, You will find, almost undoubtedly, a board or card game meetup group in your town. They are something that's pretty darn common. And they are a fantastic way to try new games. Sometimes games can be really expensive. And that's one of the big barriers to entry is that you uh, sometimes have to just sort of take someone on the internet's word on a game and buy this maybe $40 or $50 box full of cardboard tokens on the assumption that it's going to work for you and your group of friends. Uh, But if you join one of these meetup groups, as I did while I was in New York... Uh, then you get a whole new group of friends whose whole lives are dedicated to your playtesting of games and who have (laughs) enormous quantities of games in their closets and backpacks that they will whip out and and let you play. Uh, I thought it was actually a really great thing about uh, that was that it was a place to go once a week where I would sit down with people who I barely even knew their names, but we sat down and we played board games. And somebody would teach you teach you the game, and you would sit down and play it the whole way through, and then turn around and play a, another game. And it really is a great way to get a lot of board gaming experience in in a small amount of time. Um, I now live in St. Louis. There's a pretty darn good meetup group here. I'll try and put in links to both of these meetups in the show notes if you happen to be living in uh, in New York or in St. Louis. But I promise you, if you search, you will find a group of like-minded gamers who will meet relatively frequently and will have a great collection of games that you can try out. And it is the best possible way to get into this hobby. Or just show up at Reagan's house. Just come right around the back. The door's unlocked. Come right on in and set up your game. Mm-hmm. I'll put the uh, the address in the show notes. Absolutely. Please do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we play uh, we play in St. Louis pretty frequently, so mm-hmm. if there's a listener of the show who wants to play with us, I mean, you know. Yeah. As long as you don't smell like cheese. So, y- you mentioned these as a great way to catch what's, you know, what's wrong with great games and have them recommended to you. But I think, in my opinion, one of the other great resources out there would be BoardGameGeek.com. Oh, absolutely. BoardGameGeek.com is an amazing place to look up games. Once you start getting a sense of what types of games you like, one of the wonderful things about BoardGameGeek.com is that it's essentially the IMDB of board games. And 
And not only do they uh, <laughs> list games in terms of like user ratings and, oh, this is a good game. Oh, this is a bad game. Here's some reviews. But they list them in terms of what game mechanics they include. And that's something great is that once you really start getting into board games and deciding what types of games you like, that will be a resource for you to find other games that use similar but different uh, ideas in them. Games that you know you'll like because they're using mechanics that you find fun. Yeah, I've made almost every one of my board game purchases uh, from BoardGameGeek.com. That's it for part one of this very special board game episode of The Short Game. Our episode ran kind of long this week. We really got carried away talking about all the great board games we like. Next week, we'll be bringing you part two, which includes a discussion of Dominion, among other things. And uh, it's pretty good as well. So if you want to hear the rest of that, just tune in next week. 